Thank you so much. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. This will be kind of the foundational verse for the next two weeks, this week and next week. This series, this very short series called, Can You Count It All Joy? Can You Count It All Joy? I want to talk about what that means to count it all joy. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of various kinds, consider it nothing but joy. Because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that we may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. There are over 12 million COVID cases and counting. There are over a quarter of a million deaths, COVID-related deaths and counting. Food bank lines extend for miles with no aid from Congress in sight. Economic hardship across the country. Feelings of isolation by many. Social unrest after the murders of Ahmaud Arbery Brianna Taylor and George Floyd and countless other videos coming to surface. The drama of the election and a president who won't concede, but traffics in conspiracy theories just to make it difficult for the president-elect because he can't admit defeat. Clear division in the country and in the church with such vitriol. How do you remain grateful during so many trials and suffering? How do we do this thing? When either you are suffering individually or you're aware or watching others suffer and you feel like there's nothing you can do. I'm going to suggest that it requires an ability for us to see in these circumstances. It's going to require a, 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 a vision of God. So I don't have a take-home point for you. I have take-home question, a two-part question for you. Who is the God that you serve? And how much of this God do you see? That's the I'll take-home for today. Who is the God that you serve? Do you know this God? And how much of this God do you see right now? How much of this God is clear, crystal clear? You've not, you've not lost sight of God. You, you, you've maintained or you, you've gotten a, a new vision even of this God. Thinking about James chapter 1, verse 2, how do you consider or count it all, all that has happened this year to be joy? How do you do that? How do I just, do, is, is that, does that mean I just look at all that's happening and I'm supposed to just be happy about that? 
But I'm going to suggest to you that this, this phrase or this statement is not so much in a literal sense that we simply see the trials and just be happy about it. Like, oh, like nothing's... We, we talked in recent times that there is a place for lament, for grieving. It's, it's what it means to be human. I, I, I'm actually nervous when someone can't grieve. Suffering, especially other people's suffering, when you can't see and grieve and lament and, and, and feel and empathize. I, I get nervous about that person. But it's human to feel that way. But when, when the author talks about count it all joy or consider it all joy, it's nothing but joy, it's, it's, it's figure of speech. It's called metonymy. Figure of speech. He's actually saying this. He's actually saying, I want you to rename the trials. I want you to give it a different name because you have a, you have a, 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 a certain perspective that may be different than, than many others. So, so you have permission to rename the trials. To not, not necessarily accept it for, for what it appears to be. Let me give you an example. Remember now, it's based on the God that you serve and the God that you see. When someone doubts me, I rename the doubt. I call it fuel. So if James chapter 2 was specifically for me, Phil, whenever you face doubters, of various kinds. Consider it nothing but fuel. Consider it nothing but motivation. Consider it, give it a new name. Rather than rehearsing the doubt, the seeds of doubt that were planted, I'm going to give it a new name. I call it fuel. Keep feeding me. I remember in eighth grade, we were uh, we had a group. We were going to be a rap group, the Devastating Three. That was our name. Don't laugh. It was the eighties. So we were going to be a rap group, and we had a a friend of mine. His father was a DJ at the radio station, and he was preparing us to perform like on Sunday nights at the skating ring, where everybody around different these couple counties. Would, would, would come together at the skating ring on Sunday nights and just skate, music's playing. It, it was, it was a, the spot to be. So he was preparing us for that. But then what happened was basketball season was coming around the corner. Basketball practice was coming up. So I told my friends, like, oh, man, sorry, guys. I can't, I can't keep doing the rehearsal thing because basketball tryouts are coming. You know, I got to play ball. And, a, and, and one of my friends said this to me. I never forgot this. Never forgot this because this was fuel for me. He said, I don't know why you're doing that. You're not going to get a scholarship to play basketball in college. And I said, really? And that's what drove me for the next five years. It was that little voice in the back of my head that was fuel. It became food for me. Needless to say, I got a full scholarship at a Division I school just five years later. Then there was someone, someone uh, once said to me, a family member actually once said to me, um, you're not going to be successful without a, a, a degree. I'd gone to school four years 
and I, I left school. I didn't finish. That's my fault. Nobody's fault but mine. And years later, this family member said to me, and they weren't trying to be malicious. They were trying, they really wanted me to finish school. And I, I was going through a difficult time. And they said, you're never going to be successful without a college degree. They had put me in their box and basically defining the only route for success for me was this route. That became fuel for me. And I commenced to building a personal training business that was moderately successful and was growing until God thought to call me to ministry full time. And I had to shut that bad boy down. But I was, it was growing. It was moderately successful. I call it moderately successful because I, I didn't reach my goal quite yet. Fast forward, I'm in ministry, and I'm leading a young adult ministry uh, up in, in San Fernando Valley. And a, a young man, he was a student at the time, or a college student, and he says to me, you know, I was, I, was, I was having these conversations about race, even back then. I wasn't preaching as much on, on, on racial issues and justice, but I was having the conversations with, with a lot of my white friends and colleagues. And, and he said to me, you know, if you, if you keep talking about race and focusing on race, you're never going to be successful. That was fuel for me. Now, mind you, I was leading one of the biggest young adult ministries in, in the state, if not in the country. But I wasn't going to be successful if I talk about race. And a, a pastor recently told me the same thing. You're never going to be successful. People are not going to listen to you if you keep talking about race that way. Ah, oh, the fuel. Keep feeding me. I renamed it. I have a different perspective. It used to be because I had trusted in my own ability, but now in the last 15 years, it's because I've trusted in the God that I know and the God that I see. So when, when scripture says to count it all joy, yes, joy is gladness, but it's more so the confidence that God is involved, that God is active, that God is up to something. In other words, it's used in this sense as this is an occasion for joy. These trials, these sufferings, he's saying, consider them an occasion for joy, an opportunity for joy, to test, to try the joy that exists in you. Why? Because of the God that you know and the God that you see. The author is saying, here's an opportunity for you to rename, to, to, to identify this season, this COVID season. Here's an opportunity to see God in a different way. We're not going to always see God on the mountaintop. We're not going to always see God when the sun is shining and everything's bright and everything's working in our favor. Sometimes we got we, we to be able to see God when it's cloudy when it's dark, when the circumstances around us try to, 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 to block out this God. I, I once shared a message that says, can you see God? Matter of fact, this was the first message I preached at my, my former church. Can you see God in the foreground of your circumstances rather than the background? Can you see God first? Like I know, I know what's out there, but I'm focused on you, God. I see you, and I know you, God. He says, whenever you face trials, whenever you face these, these, these the, the test, the, the suffering, 
the distraction, the temptations, the injustice. He says, consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith, what does it mean to test? It means that which, uh, that which has been proved or tried. It's, it's, like, it's like when you look at a car. Before we drive the car, the car has been tested. The car has gone through a series of tests, whether it be for safety, crash tests, to see if the seatbelt works, to see uh, how does it operate when it's really, really hot? How does it operate when it's really, really cold? How does it operate on rough terrain, on incline, decline? Are the brakes working? The car has been tested. It has been gone, it has gone through a rigorous uh, regimen of testing and trials to see if it works to see what, what this car is really about before you begin to market it and promote it and sell it to the public. He says, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so here's why we, we, we need to count it all joy because these trials produce something. They have the potential to produce something, to bring about a result, or that word produce means to fashion, to form and shape. I want you to think about how, how is God fashioning you during this time? How is God shaping you during this time? How is God shaping and fashioning the church during this time? How does God want to, to fashion and shape and form the nation, the world during this time? When we first came into this pandemic, I preached a message and I, told, I talked about visualizing what God could possibly be doing in terms of giving earth a chance to breathe. Like the, the, the creation got a Sabbath at the beginning of, of this and actually during this time. But when we were kind of shut down a little bit in the beginning, creation got a chance to breathe. The reports around the world, from Italy to to the to the uh, to Asia, the, the the waters in Asia, the Earth had a chance to breathe. The water was in one part of Italy. The water was clear, and that river was clearer than it ever been in decades. The air was cleaner in many places. People were talking about the air was cleaner. Why? Because there was a Sabbath that creation was undergoing or has been undergoing. What might God be producing right now? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about what God might be producing? And you can think individually or you can think collectively. I've, I've reflected on what God has been producing in me. I'm, I'm way more disciplined than I used to be. I'm way more focused than I used to be during this last eight, nine months. The you know, things that I've gotten done, I've rested more. I've been able to, to, to see a vision for the next season of my life in ways that I wouldn't have if I was so busy prior to this pandemic. So there, there are ways that God is shaping me and forming me in spite of, it's not that I'm ignoring, I still see all the suffering is happening from COVID. I still grieve when I see those numbers keep ticking up. I'm not losing sight of that. But I also don't want to get stuck here and not have hope. When you don't have hope, you die. 
I'm not going to sugarcoat it. When, I, when you lose hope, when despair replaces hope, you die. I don't want to die on the inside. I want to live. I want abundant life. So I cling to this hope. Why? Because of the God that I know and the God that I can still see. Then it says, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect. Let, it, let endurance play out. Let, let the season play out is, is what the author is saying. It's going to produce an endurance in you that you didn't have before. It's like when you go running. It's one thing to run for three miles and you feel good about yourself. But then someone says, your coach says, now we're going to train a little differently and we're going to run for six miles. And then you look at your coach like he's crazy or she's crazy, like six. I just ran three. Can we go to four? But there is, but if, if you listen to your coach and the coach builds you up to six, there, there's, there's going to be some things that you have to now endure to get to six. And if you just let it play out, let it get to six. One day you're going to run six. It's going to have its full effect. You're not just going to run it and be exhausted and, and be just, just, worn out when you're done, you're going to run six and you're going to catch your breath. And within a couple of minutes, you're going to feel like you can run, you can run a couple more miles. Whoo. That wasn't as bad as I thought. Why? Because you, you endurance have it, have its full effect. You let the training take its course. You let the trials take its course. Let endurance have its full effect so that here's the reason. So that you may be mature and complete Lacking in nothing. Listen to me. If you allow the season to play out, you endure the season. Doesn't mean you just sit back and just let everything happen to you. You endure the season. There are things you're going to be called to even in the season, this season. And if you endure and you let it play out, it's going to produce maturity in you. You're going to mature through this season. If you let it play out, what does it mean to, to, to mature, to be brought to a finished product? Nothing else needs to be added. Now, keep in mind, this is an ongoing process. You never you've never you will never arrive fully, but you will be mature, much more mature than you were before you entered the season. If you allow the endurance to play out. This and when he's writing this. He's not writing this to an individual. He's writing this to a community. So it's, it's basically saying, let endurance have its full effect so that y'all may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So that the community would be mature. So that the community would be complete. So that the community would lack in nothing. To some degree, yes, you can look at this individually, that I will mature that I will grow, but you as an individual will never lack nothing. We'll never get to that place where you have no, there's no more growth needed for you. That's an ongoing process, but the, in the community as well, but the community can get to a place during this season where the gifts flow, the gifts complement each other, the strengths complement each other. The weaknesses are, are offset by the strengths in the community. Where there is need, people, there is abundance somewhere else in the community. 
where there is injustice, there are people who stand for justice in the community. Where there is suffering, there are people who have the, 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 the ability and the desire to, to, to console those who are suffering. Is this making sense to you? That this is for the community, it's not just for you. He's writing to y'all. And he says, let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Who is the God that you serve? How much of this God do you see? Have you been so distracted or pulled away by the circumstances, by what we're experiencing together? That it clouds how you see God, how you envision God. Have you been rethinking how you see God? Maybe God is not so. Maybe God really did. Maybe God is not capable of. Listen, there are two ways to see God in the trials. Two ways to see God in the trials. Turn to Psalm chapter 9. LaShonda read it earlier, 1 through 4. We're going to look at Psalm 9, 1 through 4. Two ways to see God, to, to, to enhance your vision. Have memory of who God has been and have imagination of who God can be. You have to have memory and imagination to see God for who God really is in the trials. You're going to see David exemplify that. David has, has memory, a good memory. But David also has his imagination. Psalm 9, verse 1 through 4 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Verse 3. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne. The first thing we see here is David makes a decision. I will give thanks. Going back to James chapter 1 verse 2, count it all joy, consider it nothing but joy. That is a decision. You may not feel it. You may not even want to. But I promise you, if you make the decision to rename the trials, God will meet you and God will reward you. And God will, will lead you through that difficult time. God may not remove you from the difficult time, but God will lead you through that difficult season. But it's a decision. David says, I will give thanks with my whole heart. I will be in authentically grateful. And then he says, here's the memory part. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Listen to me. I don't know who's done this, 
But this should be a regular discipline in your life. To reflect on all that God has done, all that God has gotten you through. And here's where you start. You start with the cross. You start with Jesus. You start there. You start there. And then you begin to reflect on what God has gotten you through, what God has saved you from. God saved me from that car accident at 16 when I shouldn't have walked away. God saved me from that car accident at 21 when I was foolishly drinking and driving. God has saved me from bullets being sprayed on campus, people being shot at on campus, unbeknownst to us standing around talking. And you watch someone get shot next to you and the bullet missed you and your friends but hit this person sitting next to you. You start to reflect on, wow, God was there. When I was about to make that, that dumb decision, God showed up and literally jacked me up to make a different decision. When I'd already made up in my mind, I was going to do that thing. When you're broken and wounded and, you've, and, and you, 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 you experience the presence of God like never before. When you're sitting on the floor and, 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 and on your knees in tears, afraid. And you feel the presence of God in your room. Fill, literally fill your room. And this feeling of awe, fear turns into awe. And you've never encountered anything like that prior to or since. I reflect on the wonderful deeds, the way that God has shown up to go from being an alcoholic to sober. I reflect on the wonderful deeds, the ways that God has shown up. You got to have memory. I like this. I like this line. I like this line. I wrote this, y'all. I made this up, y'all. I made this up. His enemies did not cloud his memory. Yeah, you, like, you like that rhyme, don't you? You know you like that rhyme. His enemies do not cloud his memory. You got to say memory so it can rhyme with enemy. Memory. You got to say it right. Here's what he says. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. You have maintained my just cause. You have. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have. You have rebuked the nations. You have. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. You have. You have. You have. He is reflecting on all that he's known God to do. Even when the results are not here yet, he's no, he knows that God has already decided upon certain things. But here's the other part. Not only must you have memory, you must have imagination. If you go to verse 7, here's what David says. 
after he's reflected on all that God has done, all that he's known God to do or already have decided to do that will have a, a, a result in the end times at the day of judgment. He, he knows that God has already decided certain things based on people's actions and behavior. God has already done certain things in his life. And then in verse 7, he says, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. You have to have imagination to see that. He's not saying he literally sees a throne and God is sitting there. He is imagining in the spirit realm that there is a throne and this God who is spirit, this God who is invisible, he's imagining the presence of God is upon this throne, this metaphorical throne. He has established his throne for justice. Ah, justice, huh? God cares about justice? That's a whole other sermon right there, though. He judges the world with righteousness. Verse 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Listen to me. Verse 11, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. He has imagination. He has imagination. I believe, if you look at the sequence of the chapter, I believe that his memory is what fuels his imagination. Because he knows what God has done as he looks through the rearview mirror. Yep, God did that. Yep, I saw. Yep, I remember. Yep. So now as he moves forward, his imagination is just being built up and built up and built up. Why? Because of the God he knows and the God he sees. You want to be able to see, to, to, to be grateful, have gratitude. If, if you're struggling, there's some who aren't struggling with it. But for those who are struggling, and, and if you aren't struggling right now, you need to take note of this because there may, be a, there may come a time when you might struggle. Because here's the truth of the matter. I may have endured a lot in my life. I know suffering. If I don't know anything else, I know suffering and I know what it looks like to endure with the Lord. But I can't sit here and say that I've experienced everything. There may be some things coming down the road that I just haven't experienced yet. And so the only thing I can do is trust that if those things arrive, I've never lost a parent. I've lost grandparents. I've never lost a parent. I don't know what would happen if I lost my mom before she got really, really old. I don't know what would happen. No one on the planet is closer to me than my mom. I don't know what would happen if I lost one of my sisters. I want them to bury me. They're younger than me. I want them to bury me. I don't know what would happen if I lost one of my nieces. But I can only imagine because of the God I know and the God I see or have seen, I can only imagine that that God is going to be there to see me through those times. I can picture it. I can see it. I can see it. I can see it. So I'm going to close with this thought. The psalmist, David, he knows the God that he worships. 
And because he knows, he can see. He reflects on Yahweh. And then he imagines Yahweh on the throne. Speaking of the sovereignty, the royalty, when he talks about this throne, the, all, the, the, the ultimate authority, the judge, the one who rightly judges. That's what he, when he uses that term, sits on the throne, that's what he's, the, 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 the awesomeness of his presence, the majesty of God, all that is tied to this idea of a God that sits on a throne. I want you to think about something. If you can envision that when you're going through the trials, would that not bring some security, a sense of peace that even though, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because I imagine this God on the throne mindful of me. The psalmist ponders, LaShonda, you, you'll appreciate this. The psalmist ponders what else is true. What else is true? Your circumstances, COVID-19, suffering, food banks, death, all that's happening right now. But what else is true? There is a current lived reality, and yet there is a greater truth. It, it's what my ancestors understood. They knew deep down slavery was antithetical to the character of a God of liberation. They reflected on God who delivered the Israelites from slavery, their memory. And then they imagined a God who would preserve their descendants so that sons and daughters could stand and preach the gospel, become lawyers and doctors and vice presidents and presidents. They dared to imagine me. And so that God is who I know and who I see. Dr. King did this, this count it all joy, renaming it. Dr. King did that. He renamed suffering. He called it a creative force. Or redemptive suffering. He had a different lens. He had a lens that was shaped by suffering itself. He had a choice, he says, in how he would view his suffering, either with bitterness or he could seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. It comes back to those two questions I asked. Who is the God that you serve? And how much of this God do you see? Dr. King says, in one sermon, he says this, or one speech, he says, In recent months, I've also become more and more convinced of the reality of a personal God. He says, true, I have always believed in the personality of God. But in the past years, the idea of a personal God was little more than a metaphysical category, which I found theologically and philosophically satisfying. In other words, it was up here. It was in the intellect. He says, now it is a living reality that has been validated in the experiences of everyday life. Now he's seeing God differently. Perhaps the suffering, 
frustration and agonizing moments which I have had to undergo occasionally as a result of my involvement in a difficult struggle have drawn me closer to God. Whatever the cause, God has been profoundly real to me in recent months. This is Dr. King. In the midst of outer dangers, I have felt an inner calm and known resources of strength that only God could give. I invite you to be receptive to this God in this time.